Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. And before we jump into this week's podcast, I just wanted to remind those of you listening that this is EdSource's season for our annual news match when we go to our listeners and our readers to dig into their pockets to contribute to EdSource. And this year we have an added bonus that whatever you contribute is worth three times to us. That's a generous match that we have, Lewis. Yes, from several donors. And when you donate, there'll be a chance for you to say, hey, I'm also a podcast fan. Yes, if you added that to the box that you can find on our website, if you go on there, you'll see a donation button. We'd really appreciate your support. And now, on to the podcast. This week, the aftershocks of the terrible shootings at Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, community north of Los Angeles, continue to be felt across the state. The school community there struggled to come to terms with the shooting, and all the schools in the district were shut down for several days. This week, we'll focus on the Sorga shooting and its aftermath. It was the worst school shooting in California in nearly two decades. Two students and the shooter, who was a 16-year-old student who attended the school, died in the shooting. The incident once again pointed to the urgent need for more gun regulation. John, as you know, California has probably the strictest gun laws in the country, but there's only so much it can do on its own in the face of almost total inaction by the federal government. The shooter at Saugus High School appears to have carried out a shooting with a gun made from a kit that one can buy online or at gun shows, and that just underscores the complexity of the problem. At the same time, it does seem like he had serious mental health problems which went undetected. Yes, and the tragedy once again pointed to the need for improved mental health services in California schools. And to look at that a little more closely, we have in the studio EdSource reporter Carolyn Jones, who looked at how California is doing in increasing the number of counselors in schools. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. It actually is the case that we have more counselors now over the last several years in in our schools. That's right. Yeah, California schools have hired 30% more counselors over the past five years. We now have about 10,000 counselors working in K-12 schools. Is that doing the job? It seems like that's quite a large increase. Yeah, it's a, everyone says it's a great step in the right direction, and it's hugely needed, but it's not enough. And that the anxiety and stress that students are feeling these days has outpaced the bandwidth that counselors have to handle it. Counselors and school psychologists and social workers as well. Well, California had the highest ratio, I believe, of students to counselors, or at least one of the highest in the nation. Isn't that right? That's right. For the past few years now, we've been the third worst in the country with the counselor to student ratio. Right now, we're at about 622 students for every counselor. What's, what's the average in the nation? The average in the nation is about 400 to one. The School Counselor Association recommends 250 to 1 is optimal. But Carolyn, what is driving this increase in counseling and the need for them? I imagine it's not just in response to these school shooting incidents. That's right. Yeah, there's been a recognition for a few years now that student mental health needs have been increasing, uh, not just from shootings and violence on campus, but from fires and floods and natural disasters. And, you know, these active shooter drills have kids completely freaked out. And then also poverty in California continues to rise, especially among children. And families generally are under more stress than they used to be. You've got parents working two jobs sometimes, long commutes. They're not around as much as they used to be. There's a rise in homeless kids. All of that contributes. And then overlaying all of it is social media 
which no matter what your situation is, can be, you know, really anxiety producing. Stresses just aren't limited to high school, right? Correct. Yeah, these would affect little kids as well. In fact, um, I was talking to a counselor in Stockton who said that sometimes they even hear third graders talk about killing themselves because they feel so stressed out. Well, that's disturbing. Yeah. One of the issues that came up and always comes up when we have these incidents of gun violence in our schools is how do we identify kids who are maybe prone to carrying out these acts? Did any of the folks you talked to reflect on that? Oh, yeah. Um, Counselors are trained to, to recognize kids who might be troubled. And then also more schools are training teachers to recognize this and school staff, school secretaries, anyone who comes in contact with kids. So more schools are recognizing that we need more safety nets and more people aware of what's going on with kids in their personal lives or, or as far as mental health goes. So it might be, you know, a, an essay that a child wrote or artwork that they did or something that might alert the teacher and then the teacher in turn would alert a counselor or a psychologist. And if it's something beyond the, what the counselor can deal with, then they would refer that child out to a community-based organization or a clinic. And we should note that the worst incidents of gun violence, Columbine, Parkland, Sandy Hook, I mean, these all took place outside of California, and that, relatively speaking, California has not been the home to these terrible massacres, thank goodness. So perhaps some of the efforts in California schools are having an impact. Also, I heard a couple people say that, you know, one thing all these shooters have in common is that they had access to guns at home. And California does have tougher gun laws than a lot of states, so that might have something to do with it, I heard some researchers say. Although... Lots of guns in California, even with our uh, stricter gun laws. Well, not that California is alone, but certainly we've been spending a lot of time under the new you know, system of improvement in California on school climate. Right. It all adds up, you know, a, a class that does yoga every day with the kids or, um, you know, all, the alternative forms of discipline, talking about counseling kids instead of disciplining them. All, a little, it all adds up a little bit here, a little bit there. It all kind of makes a little bit of a difference. And I think people would say that, yeah, we are moving in the right direction. When you have a tragedy like this, some of these efforts may get lost because they're incremental and they happen in every school. And who knows the positive effect that it's having mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've noticed, too, a lot of counselors are, are talking to whole families now, too. They're not just looking at the kid if the kid is says that they have a problem because because they feel like their stepfather pushes them too hard or something. Um, now they'll bring in the family and kind of address the whole family or maybe, you know, so it becomes more of a community effort. Carolyn, you talk to the counselors. Do you find that they are stressed? And in fact, they feel like they're a little overwhelmed by dealing with some of these issues. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I heard that a lot, actually, um, particularly in schools or districts that have really high ratios. And these poor counselors have huge workloads. And they feel like they're charged with their regular duties, which is uh, making sure that kids are taking their A through G requirements or, you know, you know, career plans, helping them with advising with that sort of thing. But then also handling discipline issues, handling mental health, student mental health, vaping, drug use on campus, also talking to teachers, training teachers about how to handle the stuff in the classroom. It's a lot for counselors to handle. And the problems that kids are facing these days, too, are more, I would say, profound than maybe they used to be five or 10 years ago. Social media, again, is a factor there. And so counselors themselves find themselves working nights, weekends. They think about it a lot. They take it home with them. It's hard. They feel stressed out. Um, I heard someone talk about compassion fatigue. So, yeah, no, that's a real problem. 
Well, thank you, Carolyn Jones, for talking with us today. And uh, obviously, we'll be tracking this uh, because it's a big issue and a complicated one. Thank you. We decided to talk with Dr. Loretta Whitson. She's executive director of the California Association of School Counselors. And I asked her how California is doing in terms of meeting the need for more counseling. Well, we're definitely doing better than in the past, but we have a long ways to go. It's going to take an investment in in setting priorities at the legislative level in California. We are now still about 622 students per school counselor, which is nearly triple the amount recommended at the national level. We have the third largest caseload in the nation, so we can do much better. And just about the Saugus High School shooting, it does appear, I mean, based on press reports, that uh, the student did obviously have some mental health issues. What do you think should be done? I mean, how does one try to identify or help students who may have such severe mental health problems that they could be at risk of perpetrating an act like this? Well, first off, we need to know every student's name, their face, and their story on a school campus. And when you have high caseloads, that's very difficult to do. The other piece that we need to do is to train everyone, that's including the teachers, administrators, and school counselors, psychologists, all folks that are on school campuses so that they are aware of signs of trauma, signs of distress in a student, and how to respond and who to tell. I know one thing that the state is now doing is that under Governor Newsom is really focusing on childhood trauma and trauma screenings. That could help, right? I applaud Governor Newsom for what he's been doing in regards to mental health needs of our students in California. And the emphasis with legislators also, there's been several uh, phone calls I've received from legislators across the state in the last week interested in knowing how they can help, if there's legislation that they can introduce or other means to focus on this issue. We don't know the particulars of this individual, but we hear from counselors that there is an increasing amount of stress that students have felt. It's been noticeable even just within the last, say, five years or so. Is that true, and what do you attribute that to? It's true, and it's shocking, and counselors report to me that it's very young, starting very young, third graders, second graders, thinking about suicide, and it's growing. So why is that? Well, perhaps it's because of the uh, the social networking influences. Perhaps it has to do with the stresses in families or other kinds of factors that are going on. It's really, I think it's multiple issues, and I think that it would be really helpful if we had some sort of panel or group of people to really look at what we can do in regards to the whole child, the community surrounding a child to see how we can mitigate some of these issues that are now part of our society. We're talking with Dr. Loretta Whitson, Executive Director of the California Association of School Counselors. Just one last question. Some of these students need pretty intensive mental health interventions. And school counselors, by and large, I mean, right now, uh, students are submitting their college applications. And uh, a lot of the counselors' time is just dealt with that kind of academic counseling. 
Uh, can counselors really be expected to provide these kinds of mental health services that apparently a growing number of students obviously need? Well, I believe in a triage effect to dealing with students. So you're absolutely right. The applications are due November 30th, and high school counselors in particular are extremely busy with that. But also, in the wake of all these mental health issues, the California has upped their standards as far as their training standards in mental health. I believe that we can work better with outside mental health service providers to really work with the most at-risk students to provide therapeutic interventions, and uh, that there needs to be a partnership around a school to provide all those mental health services that are needed. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Dr. Loretta Whitson, Executive Director of the California Association of School Counselors. Thanks for talking with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it, and I think it's long overdue conversation. Now for a broader perspective on school violence, we have on the line Professor Ron Avi Astor. He's a professor in the School of Public Affairs and the School of Education at UCLA. He's written several books on guns and other forms of violence in schools. Welcome, Professor Astor. Thank you for having me. You are one of the signers of a document called the Call to Action to Prevent Gun Violence in the United States. It argued that helping schools to take safety measures to prevent school shootings is not nearly enough. Can you explain that and what you were calling for? Yeah, this is a group of researchers from different disciplines from all across the United States that have been researching this for a while. And what we saw was just a law enforcement approach and a hardening kind of approach coming from the law enforcement that used to be called zero tolerance. And that's where politicians were going to respond to school shootings. And we felt very strongly that the research was pushing another direction. It was pushing towards actually softening schools, having better school climate, having better social-emotional learning in schools, training teachers in universities early on how to handle and create welcoming, warm environments. And the data was showing us that if we went in those directions and did caring threat assessments and not punitive kinds of measures, that actually we would likely prevent many of these shootings rather than have an approach where we're always trying to just do it at the tail end after a shooting happened or just before a shooting happens. Therefore, what is your position then on metal detectors and random searches? Does that make students feel safer or does it create a whole new area of anxiety and tension with authorities? Right. There's been a really robust literature that, you know, just across the board, blanketing uh, zero tolerance measures uh, really increase the school to prison pipeline. Uh, they increase disconnectedness with school. They increase a lot of negative things that we don't want schools to be. Now, having said all that, there are probably some places for some periods of time where some of those measures may be needed. But what we see happening is that almost every school in the United States is having uh, measures that are hardening schools. We see states wanting to arm teachers. Uh, we see the uh, many, many school police officers and SROs now being put out. We see uh, an increase in terms of what we call law enforcement approaches, that's not okay. We know that. Uh, so uh, I, I think if those are ever used, they should be used very judiciously. Schools could have a more caring, supportive, networked approach 
and actually get better results than more metal detectors, police officers, right. and those kinds of law enforcement measures. Are we talking about two different kinds of problems? We've been mainly talking with you about kids who bring weapons to school and may be responsible for some of these terrible incidents that unfortunately seem to continue. But isn't another major danger just a shooter from the outside who has nothing to do with the school? Or may have been incidents of former students who've come in there. That, that seems much harder to control. On the whole, most of the shootings in the United States, at least, school shootings have come from people who are students or former students that have a grievance either with the school or with the student population who are currently attending. Remember, most of these shooters are also suicidal. We tend to think of them as homicidal, but uh, almost all of them have suicidal uh, traits or ideation or have explicitly spoke about it. So we we can't separate out those two for that particular population. And I think the idea that we're mainly protecting against outside terrorists or people that are attacking the school, that has not been the major uh, focus of the school shootings. Uh, one of the ironies in, in the school drills uh, as well is that, you know, it assumes it's an outsider. And that's just not true. In fact, those shooters themselves are learning exactly where the students are going, where the teachers are, you know, they know all the drills just as well as everybody else. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer that uh, that, that we're protecting from the outside, let's say, terrorist groups, like in other countries, or military attacks, or white supremacists. That's generally not what's happening in schools. It's usually a suicidal uh, child who has great grievances, may have been bullied, and sometimes some mental health issues that are not addressed. Along that with a, a obsession with weapons and arsenal and the prior school shootings, we tend to see that kind of pattern for the school shooters. Well, thank you so much. Uh, made some really usually important points uh, talking with Professor Ron Avi Astar. He's a professor in the School of Public Affairs and School of Education at UCLA. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for the work you do. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.